Well, one more time, can we give God one more hand clap of praise because we're glad to be in the house today. Don't get tired of clapping for Jesus. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Man, it is a wonderful day here at Victory. The 9 o'clock service today was already uh, explosive and powerful, and I believe God is going to continue to move in that way today. Listen, before I jump into the message, I do want to do something um, that I feel is important. It's a principle that I've lived by for all of my life, most of my life, and it's really about honor. Say honor. honor. It's important to give honor where honor is due because sometimes when we see people in leadership, we don't necessarily know what it takes for them to be in leadership and to stay in leadership. Now, I'm not talking about worshiping anybody. I'm just talking about honor. Somebody say amen. And so I just wanted to take a moment to just acknowledge that today marks three years of our new senior pastors standing in the role, shepherding all of the Victory campuses, our pastors, Pastors Johnson and Summer Bowie. Can we put our hands together for them, for all that they do? If you don't know who they are, that's them right there on the screen with their family, Jeremiah and Isaac. And we're just thankful that they continue to sacrifice so that all of Victory can be blessed. Amen? Amen. Well, you just heard me use words uh, that I feel the Lord really imparted in me this week, and they were explosive and encounter. Say explosive, encounter. While we were here uh, this week in our staff meetings, I really felt, and I told our team that I believe that God wants to do that even here today. And if you haven't already felt that God is moving, you might need to check your pulse. Because as you sit in here and receive from the Lord, even engage in worship, he's already stirring our hearts. He's already moving and doing miraculous things. And so today, even as Natalie just mentioned while she was giving those announcements, really lean in fully. Open up your heart. Open up your spirit to hear what God is saying. And so this is what I do want to say as I start the message. I'm so glad to see so many of you. As a matter of fact, I want to do this. If you were here last week, go ahead and put your hand up in the air so I can see you. Now, this is a mature church. Why? I call you guys the spiritual elite. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about because if you were here last week and you show back up here today, you know we're talking about money, so that means you are really mature. So give yourself a hand right there. Some of you that, didn't, that weren't here for last week, you're like, I don't know if I want to be here right now, but just hold your horses. Listen, we're going to jump into some things because we're in the second week of our series, Trust Fund, where we're talking about money. And what I realized right off the bat is that the hard and unfortunate truth is that there's kind of like this love-hate relationship when it comes to talking about money in church. Love, because we love to receive money as individuals. We love to hustle and flow. But a lot of times we hate how money is talked about in church. It's not that we hate money, it's that we hate how it's talked about because if you're honest, some of us have been a part of environments that did not steward money well. We've been a part of spiritual environments that actually abuse money, but I want to let you know right off the top that this is not one of those churches. As a matter of fact, I want to bring some people up to speed, especially our new visitors, if you're here for the first time, and even give context to the whole congregation because we actually have been seeing 70 to 80 new visitors each and every week here at Victory Midtown, and so we want to make sure that we, you know who we are and what we're about. Now, one of the main things that I loved and that when Kendra and I decided to join Victory over five years ago, one of the things that we really appreciated that we saw right off the bat that really kind of sealed it for us is how Victory talks about money, stewards money, and operates as a generous church. So let me just say this. Victory is not a church that targets people to see how the leaders can get better and how they can actually make more money. 
Victory is not a church. You're not going to hear from me or from any of our pastors that if you sow a seed, it's going to meet your greed or somebody else's greed. Victory is not a place where I'm going to promise you any 100-fold return on your offering today. I don't have that power. But what I will and what I can confidently say is that if you follow God's laws, if you follow God's principles, if you follow his word, and if you follow his spirit of generosity, you will be able to walk in financial stewardship, and you will be able to walk in a blessed life. Somebody say a blessed life. I can also say very confidently that years ago, before the thousands of people were coming to Victory at any of our campuses, years ago, we as a church made a commitment to give at least, somebody say at least, at least 20% of all income that comes into the church back out to the mission of spreading God's word all across this world and across this nation. In the 33-year life of Victory Church, watch this, we have given $94.7 million as a church. You ought to give God praise right there. You did that. I said we have given that type of money to the mission of God being continually promoted around the world. And so you need to know that you're a part of a giving church. And as I talk about this, while this testimony might not be the testimony of all churches, what I need us to know is that we need to spend time talking about this. We need to spend, some of us are like, why are we spending five weeks talking about money? Because God talked about money. Because he knows the power and the grip that money can have over us. As a matter of fact, there's over 2,300 scriptures in the Bible that talk about money. And God knows if we don't have a proper understanding of this, what we'll do is we'll be locked up in selfishness and we'll be locked up not really understanding how to use a resource that he actually put in our hand. So as we're listening today, I'm excited for this. I'm excited that we have an opportunity to change the narrative. We have an opportunity to be the church that is generous again. We have an opportunity to show the world that we can steward money effectively. We have an opportunity to be those who say, listen, I'm not just going to sing the song, Jaira, you are enough. I'm going to look at God, lean into God as my provider and my sustainer. And I believe I can have radical faith to be responsible and to expect to thrive in this life. Amen? And so what if we became that church? What if we started to actually shift our minds and our lives where we didn't get all choked up and, and get stuffy when we started talking about money? But we got excited about it because we know that there are major keys that God wants to give us so that we can actually be the river of finances instead of a reservoir of selfishness. So before I get any further, I just need you to shake it off a little bit. Come on, shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Because some of y'all are looking at me with that tone of voice, and I need you to smile at me. <laughs> smile at me. No, today we are actually continuing in what I believe is a very powerful journey. And as we're equipped, we want to make sure that we are those who get financially free, that we don't chase money and try to chase debts, paying those things down to the detriment of what God wants to do and allow us to walk in our purpose. And so here's the thing. Pastor Johnson, last week, he kicked us off, and we've been actually talking about for the whole year this whole Sermon on the Mount series in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what we've been saying, especially for those who are new, is that storms have come, they're here, and they're still going to come at us. And we need to be equipped to be able to know how to stand firm when the storms come. And how many people know, if you'll be honest with me in this sanctified church, how many of you know that storms can come in the form of finances or lack therein? 
I got one amen on this side. <laughs> Finances can come and actually be a storm if we don't actually look at them in the right way. And so last week, Pastor Johnson, he started us off with this particular verse that I want to read to us so that we can get all on the same page. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, turn to it in your YouVersion Bible app or in your physical Bible. Verse 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he started this message last week by bringing to light that we all have a treasure that we're living towards. We all have a treasure that we are living and pointing towards and going after. And he introduced this Greek term called telos. Say telos. He said telos was this. It's defined as an aim, an end goal, an ultimate destination. It's our treasure. It's what guides us. And I love that he said this statement. It really grabbed me. He says, we are all teleological beings who are either actively or passively working towards what we say we treasure. We're either actively or passively working towards it. Why am I saying that? Because there's no th such thing as standing still. You're either making progress towards something or you're moving away. And so when he said this, he said we're working towards this based on our understanding and our reality of what we call the good life. And if we're really honest, many of us have different ideas of the good life, and I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm glad you've been on this journey, because what we're doing is, just like it says in Romans 12, we are reclaiming what God says about the good life. We're shaping our minds with a biblical perspective. And so last week, he asked us, he actually, in the service, took about 60 seconds and said, hey, I want everybody to write down, take a moment, and write down what your telos is. And I just want to simply share what Kendra's and I's are. And I, we actually were writing at different times, and it was so aligned. And I want to read what I wrote down for you. I said this. For my family, our telos, Kendra, Maximus, and I, is to be spiritually, emotionally, and financially free so that we can have freedom and liberty to daily be fully obedient so that we can be spent by God to impact every person and environment for God's glory. This will allow us to be fully alive by helping others become fully alive. When I wrote that down, I realized that there's some things that have to be in place in order for me to do that. And I love that he said that the movements in your life are dictated by what you treasure. The movements, how you move around, how you make decisions. Let me make this real practical. How many parents are in the room right now? By a show of hands. A lot of parents all over the room. I have learned in our two and a half years that because we have Maximus in our life, our movements have changed. Because we see him as one of the treasures that God has blessed us with, there are things now that we have to shift and do differently now that we have to consider him. If you have a spouse or a significant other, you have to now make sure that you're considering them or you might not be married long. You have to shift some things. You can't just be selfish. You can't just do what benefits you. You have to look out for them. Let me make it a little bit more practical. For some of us that like to wear certain hairstyles, we take an inventory of the weather. We take an inventory of what's going on, where we have to be, before we say we're going to invest that money into our hairstyle. If it's raining outside, I will not be moved. <laughs> some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then even furthermore, for some of the guys that like to do what I do, some of us are using our treasure of getting the tea time on the golf course that actually dictates and moves our lives. 
Whatever you find yourself in that you're pointing towards, you need to know that your treasure dictates your life. And so for many of us, if we're honest, we've been conditioned to see the good life as something that's spelled M-O-R-E, more. For a lot of us, the good life is defined as more, more resources, more clout, more influence, more things that actually hit us here on earth while maybe not being involved in what God would have for us to operate in. And so here it is. As I'm talking today, I think all of us are interrogating ourselves. And God's desire, hear me, God's desire is for us to see money as a resource and not a regulator. He wants us to see money as a resource and not a regulator. What do I mean by being a regulator? If money is a regulator for you, now whenever you get an opportunity, you go based on what you feel that money can do for you. Or you won't do certain things if you feel like it doesn't actually benefit you. See, in culture, we have these cliches and we have these statements that we say, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And if we're honest, many of us have bought into that, but listen to this. What happens if God is telling you to do it, but it doesn't make sense? What happens when God is actually prompting you to do something that does not look like it matches the capacity in your bank account? What if he's telling you to be obedient after you have now idolized a certain amount of wealth that you say, oh, when I get to this place, I'm going to be solid? And many times God will say, see, the whole reason why I have to shift you is because you put your trust in that thing. And I want to let you know that it might not make sense, but I got news for you. If you trust me, I will make sure that it's all covered. Somebody say amen. amen. And so the key to us looking at this is this word that I really like to harp on called perspective. Called perspective. Say this with me. Say perspective, perspective. is everything. Yes. Come on, say it like you really believe it. Say perspective. It's everything. What I've been saying for years and what I want to say and echo even today is that how you see and perceive life will determine how you respond to life and the opportunities before you. How you see life, how you see the people that you're dealing with, how you see someone. If you think someone is actually after you or, or does not have your good in mind, you will stay away from them. But if you have a perspective that you want to see as God sees, then you can shift. You can make some things happen. And so this leads to this passage that we're going to deal with today in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. And I want us to read this together. I want to take some of us back to reading in concert in church. Amen? So they're going to put it on the screen. We're going to be reading from the New King James Version. And I want us to start on one, two, three, read. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Hmm. Let's take a look at this same passage in the Amplified Translation. I'll read it for you, but I want you to follow along. Starting in verse 21, it says it like this. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light, benefiting from God's precepts. But if your eye is bad, spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness, devoid of God's precepts. So if the very light inside of you, your inner self, your heart, your conscience is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? 
again, I want you to be able to let your shoulders down. I want to give you some context. Because while we're talking about money, and we have a series that talks about stewardship and generosity, this whole thing that we're talking about is really not about money. It's really about our hearts. It's about the state of our hearts. It's about our motivations. It's about what inspires us and drives us to really do the things we do. And if we are a real honest church at 11.55 a.m., we can say that sometimes we allow money to be the thing that drives us even past what God is saying to us. And so as we navigate through this and we know that our hearts and our motivations have to be right, Matthew 6.21 says it like this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the Bible also says in Proverbs 23.7, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me break this down just for a moment. Let me slow this down. When we talk about and what the usage of the word heart is right here, it actually is not talking about this physical thing that beats in your chest. What's really being talked about and focused on right here is really the subconscious mind or the seat of reasoning. The subconscious mind or the seat of reasoning, meaning that there is something past our physical that drives us to do what we do. I love Dr. Miles Monroe. He passed away several years ago. I read a lot of his books, and I listen to him a lot. And he said this before he passed away. He wrote this in the book, Burden of Freedom. He said, to control a man, a community, or a nation one must control the information content that enters the subconscious mind. In essence, the ultimate goal and objective of oppression is to dictate and control the subconscious mind. What he's simply saying right here is that oppression and control does not always come in the form of barriers and restraint. Oppression and control comes in the form of what do I believe about this thing? How have I been thinking about this? You've heard the thing stinking, thinking. What have I believed? What have I accepted? How have I allowed certain things to steer my life? And so I want you to hear this. As I was thinking about this, we've heard that the devil was referred to as the prince of the air. And what I need to know very clear and let you know very clear is that the devil does not have to impair you or restrict you physically to get you not to do what God has for you. All he has to do is to introduce and convince you to think something and believe something opposite of what God's word said. And so what we're doing, again, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against principalities and powers. We're wrestling against ideologies and philosophies. And so as we talk about, and we're not afraid of talking about it here at Victory, we talk about at times spiritual warfare. We talk about defeating the devil and making sure that he's continually defeated under our feet. But how about, I need you to know this. The devil does not have to kill you if he can distract and detour you. See, some of us are scared that, you know, we're going to be possessed by the devil and all this stuff. No, he doesn't have to possess you. He doesn't have to kill you. If he can distract you, if he can detour you, if he can make you believe a lie about certain things, then he's like, okay, I don't want to kill them. I just want them to work for me. And so I have a newsflash, actually a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Hear this. If we are not careful you can actually be oppressed by a false sense of success. You can actually be oppressed, bound, restrained, held down, not by what you don't have, but by a false sense of success. Feeling that I got it all together. I finally got that job that I've been praying for. Now I don't come to church anymore. I finally got that promotion. Now I don't know how to speak to people. I'm in the C-suite now, so I can't talk to the people who work on the grounds crew. 
What is our mindset telling us about what we really believe? And so what we need to know is that we need to make sure that our focus on where our treasures are to be stored is not misappropriated. That we don't store more treasures here on earth than we're actually uh, storing in heaven. And very simply, what that means is that we need to make sure that our mindset is not just temporary, but it's eternal. That our mindset is not just about what's on this earth, but it's heavenly. And so here's what I want us to know, and I want to kind of ask this question. As we know the devil is the prince of the air, what ideas have we assimilated to? What ideas have we taken in that we've chosen over God's ideas? Because that will drive us. That will allow us to know how we're navigating through life. Now, I need to echo something Pastor Johnson said last week, and I'm so glad he said it because I was sitting there thinking it. What I don't want you to hear me saying is that we're demonizing having possessions. What I don't want you to hear me saying is that you can't have new shoes. Let me say this. I'm saying that because I like new things. I like nice stuff. But here's the thing. I got a witness over here and my wife. She's trying to tell on me over here. But here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with having possessions. There's nothing wrong with having certain things. Here it is. The challenge comes when your possessions are possessing you. The challenge comes that when what you want and what you desire, what will give a temporary bit of satisfaction outweighs the obedience and the generosity that God wants you to have being open to being used by him around the world. Again, I said perspective is everything. I was having a conversation with a young man after service at the 9 o'clock. He said, thank you, Pastor, for saying that. Because when I was young, I didn't have anything. And now that I've grown up, now I have the opportunity and the ability to get clothes, to get uh, shoes, and to do these things. But watch this. I make sure that when I get, I give just as much out to other people. When I, if I am going to wear some new shoes, I want to wear them proudly, but I'll know that I've been a blessing to see someone else walk in the things of God. And so, again, don't hear me saying that we're demonizing those things. Hear me saying that we're prioritizing what God prioritizes. Say this again with me. Perspective is everything. Here's the thing. There's a difference between having a heavenly-minded view and an earthly-minded view. And what we need to know, write this statement down. It's in your notes. Our perspective drives and shapes how we are influenced to make decisions. Therefore, if I see finances differently, I will see life differently. Let me say it again. If I see finances differently, I'll see life differently. Because what you may not know, and it may be subconscious, that whether we realize it or not, our relationship with money actually influences our relationship with Jesus. Some of you are like, I don't know about that, Pastor. Go back to seminary. Show me the scripture. Let me say this. Many of us, and I hate to say this, even though you might profess Jesus as your Savior, he might not actually be your Lord. Just because you acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, come into my heart, save me, forgive me of my sins, all that's great, but is he your Lord? What does it mean? Lord means someone or something having power, authority, influence over your life that's a master and a ruler that can guide you along the way. Some of us are like, I don't know. Am I that person? Let me give you a clue. If money or the fear of losing it or not having it is actually influencing you more than what God has given you in peace, money might be your Lord. Money might be your authority. Let me give you another way of looking at it. If when you are not getting paid, 
in the middle of the month and you're only happy on the 1st and the 15th. That all between you're walking around like Eeyore. But on the 1st and the 15th, I got joy, 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 joy. Money might be your Lord. If you're only happy when your bank account is dictating it, that's something to look at. Because a measure of the quality of your life is the measure of how much you trust God and how much you can actually be at peace with him even when things are not looking up or when they're down. So let's dig deeper into the scripture of what Jesus was talking about with this good eye and this bad eye. He's trying to show us something here, and he talked about the good eye and the bad eye. What he was saying in that time, there was an idiom, a, a, a way of speaking that a good eye actually said, or a bad eye was someone who was stingy, was someone who was greedy, was someone who was blind to the things of God and blind to the care of others. These were considered people who are in spiritual darkness, where it was all about me, mine, us four, and no more. But a generous person was seen to have a good eye. A generous person responds clearly to what God is saying. A generous person looks for opportunities to be a blessing. A person with a good eye says, God, however you want to use me, you can use me. To make it even more clear, when someone has a bad eye, we will uh, uh, really prioritize the accumulation of resources over our relationships we say are important. When you have a bad eye, we'll chase clout instead of looking after our kids. When we have a bad eye, our social lives will actually be prioritized over our spouse's lives. And when we have a bad eye, we will actually do everything we can do to get promoted instead of really making sure that we're aligned with the purpose that God has for us. In short, a person with a bad eye is stingy, and a person with a good eye is generous. I need you to do something with me. Y'all know I like to participate with each other. Look at the person next to you and just ask him the question, how are your eyes? Some of y'all looking a little too long, especially if it's not your spouse. <laughs> if it's not your spouse, just do it and keep it moving. How are your eyes? Now, if it's your spouse, do what you need to do, baby. Do what you need to do. Here's what I need us to know. Let's take it back to the basics. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave. And one of the great goals of the gospel message is to get us to take on the DNA of God. If God is generous, he really wants us to be generous. And so plainly put, it's in your notes, the nature of Satan is selfishness while the nature of God is generosity. One more time, the nature of Satan is selfishness, while the nature of God is generosity. I love this quote by Scott Riddout. He says this, hear this very clearly. He says, generosity is not an idea, a hope, or desire. It is a choice. It is a direction. It is a lifestyle. Our God is a generous God, and our goal as believers is to become like him. So what this is simply saying is that our posture should often be that God has never been stingy with me, so I'm never going to be stingy with others. Now, some of y'all, as I'm saying this, you're like, well, you don't know. My bank account doesn't look like some of the people that you think you're looking at. But do this for me. Move your legs for a moment. Shake your arms for a moment. Open your mouth and say, thank you, Jesus. If you can do any of those things, you are blessed beyond measure. 
If you can do any of those things, you need to know that you actually have more than many people who don't have it. Somebody in here needs to give God praise and say, it's not about what's in my bank account. It's that God has blessed me so richly. It's that God has made me able to stand, able to move. And all he's saying is, do what I do. Be generous. I'm not saying you have to match it up like somebody else's, but do what you can do. And so as we're looking at this, I have an interrogative question that the Lord gave me. It's not in your notes, but I really want you to write this down. This is something the Lord just really prompted me to ask us and to ask you. If you could change the life of a person by what and how you give, would you do it? Write that statement down because it's something you're going to need to really think about. If I personally could change the life of another individual by what and how I give, would I do it? Because what Jesus is really doing here is he's trying to see if we will have good eyes. Now, I know many of you. Kendra and I have had the privilege of now leading this congregation for now almost five years. We've had many conversations, and I even want to say this. If you didn't know, Midtown, whenever we do a particular initiative for giving and the things we've done to make that $94.7 million, Midtown always leads the way. So I need y'all to give yourselves a hand, hand of, uh, of applause right now. Come on. Some of y'all don't want to clap for yourself. It's not pride. You've been following God, and I just want to say thank you for always being that person. So I'm not saying something that's new to you. But what I'm saying is that we need to continue to have this so that we can share with other people. So as Jesus is telling us to have good eyes, he's saying, I want you to have good spiritual eyes because when you have good spiritual eyes, your life and the life of everything around you starts to light up. Your life starts to be a thermostat to people who are needing a change in their lives by you just being obedient. Because if you have bad spiritual eyes, your life will be in darkness. We'll say things like, you know, it's my money. It's my 401k. It's my retirement. It's my home that needs to be taken care of. And God is saying, where were you when I formed the earth? Did you put yourself in that job? You might think that you studied long enough, but if I didn't open the door, you wouldn't be there. And so as we look at this, hear me. Our goal of generosity is not that we get more, but watch this. What I love about God is that it's a law. See, many of us have come from different contexts in church, and we've heard many times preached to us at offering time in a little sermon, give and it shall be given back unto you. Good measure, press down, shaking together and running over, and they start doing a dance. <laughs> Listen, that's not just talking about money. Give of your kindness. Give of your attentiveness. Give of your relationship. Give of your attention to someone when they're down, and it shall be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I love that we serve a God who has laws that says if we follow what he says, you will yield these results. But it's not this genie in the bottle, I give, and now I get this back. No, it's I'm giving unto the Lord, and he just happens to be so faithful that he's going to bless me. So as we navigate through this here, what I'm talking about is authentic generosity. And in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, I love this in the message paraphrase. It says it like this. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. The NIV translation says, those who refresh others will be refreshed. Now, I need to just stand and give you a testimony that I see this and I know this is true. 
My wife and I, we try to make a very intentional action to keep our eyes open and look for opportunities to have good eyes to see people who need to be blessed. It's not uncommon for us to hear of a need and to uh, anonymously give something to make sure that person is able to come through that need. It's not uncommon for us to see, yes, God has blessed us with surplus in certain areas. So where is someone with a deficit in need that we can actually bring up? But even in that, it's not always about tangible things. I was sitting in a meeting just the other day where we're talking about how to help other people. We're talking about how to be a blessing to other people. And lo and behold, at the end of the conversation, I started to find that I was leaving better than I came because they presented an opportunity to me that was bigger than anything I could have actually dreamed of. Why? Because on the way, I had good eyes. On the way, I'm saying, how can I be a blessing? How can I pour into this? How can I sow into this? And God is saying, listen, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a nudge to let you know that I see you. And God is saying that to us today. So here it is. How do I use, this is a question for all of us to ask ourselves and to continue to walk in. How do I use what God has blessed me with to be an extension of God's love and faithfulness to other people? And here's the real honest truth. Now, this is something I thought about. I don't even know if I want y'all to lean in on this or not. Come on and lean in. Come on and lean in. Come on. Lean in with me. Lean in with me. Everybody lean in. Come on. Here's something, as I'm talking about good eyes, as I'm talking about bad eyes, here's an honest truth that I had to battle with this week. It's not always fun or convenient to have good eyes. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Why? Because when you see the disadvantaged, when you see the poor, when you see the person suffering abuse, when you see the person in a situation that you have the power to get them out, now you have the responsibility and you cannot turn the blind eye. Because now, because you have good eyes, you have to acknowledge, man, I got to do something about that. Now, I know we're all saved and, and we, we love to help people, but sometimes helping someone and having good eyes is very inconvenient. And so some of us in this room right now need to have spiritual LASIK surgery, meaning that we need our eyes upgraded because indifference, apathy, selfishness, being self-absorbed has shifted us from when we used to have good eyes to being comfortable now saying, I got mine, they need to figure out theirs. And I don't believe that's who God has called us to be. I don't believe that God just wants us to be comfortable and having what we have while most of the world, we only think about America, but most of the world, and even right here in Atlanta, people are suffering from poverty. People are suffering from being locked down in things that have had them in despair. And so here's what I'm saying. We need to be able to see like Jesus sees. And I love this quote that Dr. Martin Luther King said. He says, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. What does altruism mean? It means selflessness. So we have to decide, am I going to be selfless or am I going to be selfish? And so one of my favorite scriptures or passages in the Bible that I want to kind of end with today is found in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I want to read it for you, but I need you to really grab this. It's so powerful, so really pay attention. It says this, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon, and now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day. Somebody say every day. He was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. He said, let me hold something, bro. 
It says Peter looked at him. In another version, it says Peter looked intently. Peter looked straight at him and as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, of walk, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, if you've ever read this scripture, many of us are already getting excited because there are bombs in this particular passage of scripture. But I just want to focus on one. See, this man could not walk from birth, which means every single day of his life, he depended on someone else to carry him and to be his vehicle. Every single day, he was sat down at the temple gate to actually beg. That's how he got his food. That's how he got his money. He needed someone to have compassion on him as he stood there and put himself out there. And what we see here, and if we read the chapter before, it says, every day the disciples continue to meet together in the temple courts. Why is that important? It begs the question to ask, how many times did Peter and John walk over him, walk around him, or you know how we do, act like he didn't see him? Not only Peter and John, they're just the ones that they specify. This means the church folks. The religious people, the people who put their church hats on and they put their, their Sunday's best, they were walking in the temple not paying attention to him because maybe they didn't have that need. And so what we need to understand is that there may be this thought that maybe it could have been that they were so busy living a life for Jesus that they failed to offer him Jesus. That they were so busy trying to get their spiritual needs met that they jumped over someone who needed their spiritual need met. Let me make it plain. How many times have we rushed into Victory Midtown, parking just any and everywhere, knowing someone is needing a hand up or someone is needing some help before we get here, and we say, I got to get to make that third song. I got to get inside so I can get a seat. God is saying, on the way to receiving from me, I need you to be a vessel for me. And we need to have a heart that says, listen, I'm not just going to pass by people. I'm not just going to look over you. I'm going to consider, yet by the grace of God, go I. So here's the thing. Let me just give a spoiler alert. What was different about this particular day? This particular day, it says that Peter did something he had not done before. The Bible explicitly says Peter looked at the man. Notice, I didn't say he saw the man. I mentioned this before. There's a big difference in seeing and looking. We all see things in our vision. We all have things that come across us, but it takes intention to look. It takes intention to be focused. And so it says, Peter looked at the man. And here's what I need you to know. Something powerful happens when you pause and look. Something miraculous can happen when you take time to not be self-absorbed, but you say, I'm going to actually pay attention to that. But this is the thing that I need us to know. Write this statement down. It's going to be on the screen. Many times we don't like to look at things because most of the time we don't want to look because if we look, that means we now have to act. You know what I'm talking about. How many times have we been on Northside Drive, on the exit on 17th Street, 10th Street with the Water Boys, 
and we find it very convenient to find something important in our phone. We're playing in our car, gyra. We're playing in our car. A miracle can happen now on our way to do something spiritual, and the miracle possibility is on the other side of your window. Now, what I'm not saying is that you need to roll your window down every time. Caution. (laughs) Facts. But what I am saying is that if the Lord speaks to you, when he nudges you, harden not your heart. Be someone who is obedient and doing what God has called you to do. Amen? So here's the thing. We, we oftentimes, we won't look because we don't want to take responsibility. But again, as I asked the question earlier, what would happen if you were able to give and change someone's life by how and what you give? And here's my question to us that we need to ask ourselves, even after we leave this place, out of this environment of, of, of God being here with us, when is the last time you, as an individual, stopped, looked, and acted on a need? So here's what I need us to know. When we have a good eye, it recognizes that I am a byproduct of God's grace, his mercy, and his blessing. That I am simply a steward of his finances. That I'm going to respond because I have the opportunity to look and see a need. It tells us that the good eye knows that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And this is what I want to know. I want you to know. I want us to celebrate because victory, we can be those people. As a matter of fact, as I started off in the beginning of the message, in great mention, you've already been those people. And so I want to just kind of share with you that even recently in April, we had what I would call one of my favorite meetings of the entire year. It's what we call our 20% meeting. And in this meeting is when we pray and we discern and we go through a listing of opportunities that we can have to continue to promote the gospel all around the world. In that one meeting that we had in April, we were able to give $370,000 to the cause of Christ to see people transform for the gospel. That's a good place to give God praise right there because you did that. And here's the thing. All these things that I'm talking about, they're not just nameless things. Just a few of the things we did with that $370,000 was this. We completed a dormitory for rescued girls at a school in Kenya. We ran hot water into the forever home for adult special needs kids in Ecuador. We helped four young adults get adopted into families right here in Georgia. We built another bedroom in a home we purchased that actually helped rescue women from human sex trafficking so that we can now rescue more women from human sex trafficking. We sponsored a summer camp to help kids get off the street. We sponsored a job program for homeless men in downtown Atlanta. Last year, when the whole situation came up in Ukraine, as a church, all of our campuses, we gave 475000 in relief in that one week. We're doing something. We're a giving church. And here's the thing. Just this past June, some of y'all remember this very clearly because you were a part of this. We gave $316,000 to build Layla's home in South Florida, which will allow us to do the same thing we're doing here, rescuing women from sex trafficking right there in Florida where we really need it. That's not all. Somebody say, wait, there's more. Just a few weeks ago, 
we learn about a family that is in the same place of the, uh, the few people that we found out about in South Asia that had some homeless people on the street trapped in slavery. We were able to give a few thousand to freedom from slavery. But in that same mention, there were seven homeless boys who found themselves on the street, went and saw this business owner. The business owner said, hey, you can come work for me. But then his business took a turn, and then he ended up selling them into slavery. But because we looked and we acted with just a few thousand dollars, we were able to get all seven of those kids adopted by Christian homes that are now being able to see what God does. We have a picture of those in right there. These are real people. These are real people, real stuff happening. Here's something that I wanted to let you know that happened real close to home. How many of you, by show of hands, remember our Christmas gift to the world? We always, every year, we give to something local and international. And our local project was this home called Tackle, uh, Tackle the Shackles. It's where we are able to create a home and partner with an organization that will take men who have been released from prison to help them assimilate back into society because 70% of men and people that come out of prison go back to prison shortly thereafter because they don't have that resource to get rightly put back into society. I want to give you an update. That home has been built, and we want to show you an update on that. Watch this. Tackle the Shackles is a ministry that helps men coming out of prison. There are over 10,000 men coming out every week in America. 70% of them go back, and they go back because they don't have that better second chance of housing, jobs, transportation, life coaching, and Tackle the Shackles is here to tackle those shackles. We're excited about being able to provide and serve these men to come back and reintegrate back into society. My name is Stacy McPhee. I was incarcerated six months prior to coming here, and my life was out of control. When I got out, got in contact with Pastor Lee, and I wound up here. And when I came here, man, I knew this where God wanted me to be. I've been at the new Tackle the Shackle reentry home for about four months. It's, it's here to help a person get their life back together, you know? It's here to help a person get back in tune with Christ. It's so peaceful, you know, in the mornings you can get up and read you some scriptures and go sit out there on the back deck and, you know, just be at one, you know, with Christ and with God. God has blessed me since I've been here, you know, to obtain a, a very, very good job. I couldn't ask for nothing better. You know, it has truly been a blessing to me. So I take that every day and I give God his praises. Victory, your Christmas gift to the world allowed us to purchase this beautiful home to be able to house seven men at a time to help them reintegrate back into society. We were able to purchase a van to get the men back and forth to work, to probation office, to courts. And we have plans on this 2.2 acres of land to put a prefab home, and we're looking forward to be able to serve more men. Thank you, Victory, for partnering with Tackle the Shackles. Come on, we can do better than that and put our hands together right now. As I said already, something powerful happens when we pause, look, and act. And we do have an opportunity to do that even once again today. 
as we've been navigating through this, again, you know we never do anything that's self-serving. We always do things that are looking to help more people receive the gospel. And I want to just ask by a show of hands, how many people have found yourself at one point or another here at Victory Midtown and felt like it has added value to your life by being a part of this church? Amen. A lot of hands going up. Here's what I want to let you know. If you remember, in January, we shared about the God goal that Pastor Johnson received from the Lord that we've now adopted and really taken ownership of, where he said we're going to have 100,000 souls that we're going to reach in Victory Church context in different campuses, in different ministries, house churches, etc. And we're going to actually reach 900,000 people outside of the walls of Victory, which makes up a million souls that we're able to reach. I got good news for you. If you look around right now, we see that God has been adding to the church daily. Can you look around real quick? Can you thank God for a moment for how God has continued to elevate and bring more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? But this is what I want you to know. You're here at this service and you see it. But you may not know that even across all of our our services, we are over 100% more than the number of people who attended this church at this exact time last year. So in a year, God has continued to increase and grow, and we need to be able to respond to that. And so I want you to do something. They're going to put a picture, not even a picture, but just a video of a particular area of our room on the screen right now. Go ahead and do that. Take a look at this. If you look right there, you'll see that this room is actually full. This room is full. This is from our 11 o'clock service last week. Not only do you see this room full, you'll see our family room full. We see so many parents and families who can't even get into Victory Kids. What we're having to do, we see our lobby. That's our lobby. Make some noise for the lobby right now. Those in the overflow, we give God praise for you. Thank you for bearing with us. But listen to this. The challenge is that we're having to, especially at this service, at 11.15, 15 minutes after service, we're having to turn away families who are trying to be reached for Jesus. And I want to let you know, by faith, We've taken this 4,000 square foot uh, next to us, and we've acquired that for Victory Midtown to make more room to be able to impact people for Jesus. Come on, give God praise for that. That's exciting. That's exciting, but watch this. One of the greatest testimonies that I get is from men and from families. Number one, the men, I'm seeing so many men come up to me and say, Pastor Mo, I'm a grown man. And I have never been excited about coming to church in my life. And I'm thankful for Victory Midtown. We're hearing parents tell us that my kids drive me to church. Even though I'm driving the car, my kids make sure that I get to church based on what they're learning and receiving in children's church. Listen, we had 80 kids give their life to Christ last month. Last month. And that's great news, but here's the opportunity. We had to turn away a whole lot of parents and kids because we don't have room currently to be able to have the capacity to serve them. And so when we build out this space next door and when we open up this uh, this area right here, if you look back at this camera riser, just look back at it. Everybody look at this camera riser. This camera riser, I talked about it uh, a few months ago, and I said this. I said, if we move this camera riser, we'll be able to fit 55 more seats in this room to be able to impact more people. Go ahead and open the door to the overflow, Irv. Please open the door. People in the overflow, make some noise if you would like to be in the service instead of outside in the lobby. (laughs) It will open up 55 seats here, but when we build that out, it's actually going to make room for another 120 seats over there where people won't just have to sit in the lobby. And what we believe is that as God continues to increase us, we're going to be able to be good stewards so people can receive this gospel 
and be transformed for Jesus. But how many of you know the gospel is free, but it runs on the road that it needs to be paid for? And so here's the thing. We have an opportunity to look and to act today. I told you months ago that this project for the cameras was going to be $100,000. Now, y'all haven't heard me talk about it again for eight months. How many of you know we've already raised $65,000 to it? Without talking about it, there's just a few people that say, hey, I believe in that. I want to go ahead and sow into that, and we're able to do that. And so today, it leaves us $35,000 to get this done. So by the beginning of the year, we'll be able to open up this space. And then even our space next door, it's only going to cost us about $45,000 to build that out so that we can have that ready and move and impact this community and this world for Jesus Christ. And so today, we're just talking about $80,000. $80,000. This is not a begging thing. This is like if God is prompting you as you're talking about being one who looks and acts, we want to be a part of a miracle happening for somebody else as God has made it possible for a miracle to happen for us. And so this is what we're going to do. Just like Peter looked and he acted, we're going to make sure that we actually do that right now. So they're going to put a QR code on the screen. And here's what I want to ask. Whether it's 25 cent or $25,000 or $2 million, if you have the capacity and you want to look and give and act today, we want you to be able to do that right now because I want to be able to celebrate next week that we got this done. And what I know about even some that are in this room that I even have a relationship with, you could do this right now. You can say, hey, I want to own the whole project of next door. I want to go ahead and just take care of that so y'all don't have to talk about it. You can reach more people for Jesus. And so we're going to give you a few minutes to go ahead and just do that right now because, listen, this is not something we pray about. We look, we act based on what God has blessed us to be able to do we step into it. So just take a moment and go ahead and respond to that as we're a part of a miracle. thankful that, again, we've already been such a generous church, and I'm thankful that as we talk about 55 seats, we're not talking about 55 chairs. We're talking about over three services, 165 people who have opportunities to meet Jesus, to encounter him, to grow, to be delivered, set free, and walk in liberty. And so, as you continue to pray about this, some of y'all are still finishing that up, I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Because what I want to do is I want to make sure that as we're talking about a great God who is so generous, who gave his only begotten son so that we could have life, I want to have you give the, get the opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Because all these things are great, but if you don't have Jesus in your heart, if you don't 
have him as your savior, you'll never be able to operate in generosity the way he sees it. And so if you're in here today and you not just want to live in eternal life after you die, but while you're here on this earth, you want to have the guidance of the Lord and Savior who empowers you to live in a blessed life, I want you to just lift your hand while every head is bowed. I want to be able to pray with you. I see a lot of hands going up, a lot of hands. All over the room, those worshiping online with us, I want you to engage in this moment. I want you to have the opportunity to participate in being a miracle, but also receiving the miracle salvation of God. Repeat this prayer after me all over the room. Say, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And today, I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things. And I turn towards your way of doing things. Today, I confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I am a child of God, and I will live for you. From this day on, I can confidently say that I am saved and in your hands. Amen. Keep your heads bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to pray over this congregation that does not count a robbery to be extensions of your grace. I pray right now that even as we've heard this message, that we will hear it with the right perspective, that we will understand that you've called us for such a time of this to be good stewards, that, Father, as we leave this place, as we take care of your business, you always take care of ours. And so, Father, I just declare a blessing, favor over each and every one of us, that the generosity of this church will continue to echo into eternity, that their children's children will call them blessed because they answered the call to simply be generous. Father, we love you today, we thank you for who you are, and we give you praise for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, Victory Church. Awesome.